Today we're going to be talking heavy metal subgenres and our favorite heavy metal albums. Hey guys, that music really doesn't fit today's episode. Do you think you could change it up a bit? Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode 25. My name is David Lane. I'm your host. It is great to be with you once again. And this is part two of Heavy Metal 101. We're going to be talking today once again with Eric Schwartz. Now, if you didn't hear episode 24, part one of this conversation, I think you can still follow along. I don't think there's going to be anything today that you would be behind on you would get a more complete idea of what we're talking about and also, you know, learn a little bit more about Eric himself and his podcast if you were to go to part one. But if you're a first-time listener, you can certainly jump right in. We welcome you to, to check out this episode. I, I think you'll be able to follow along just fine. Now, if you are a first-time listener, this is not a heavy metal podcast. Just thought I should go ahead and say that. My guest, Eric Schwartz, he has a heavy metal podcast that we talk about called Heavy Metal 101. This is a podcast all about developing your tools as a musician. And one that I find is that great musicians do not pigeonhole themselves into only knowing one or even a couple of genres. But they understand how music works in all of the genres and are able to appreciate and even respect the genre whether or not they actually like the music. I'll be honest with you, there, there are some music that we're going to talk about today that is not my favorite, but some of the music is, and I, and, you know, same thing, I offer some music that, that my guest doesn't like as much as I do, and that's okay. When we talk about genres, we're not talking about which one is better because of how much you like to listen to it, because for every, for every type of music that you don't like, there's someone who loves it. And the same goes for music that you love. There's someone that doesn't like it. What we want to talk about here is what makes the music tick. And we're also, of course, besides talking about the genre, we are talking about music history. Music history does not just include labels like Baroque, Classical, and Romantic and refer to one type of genre in one region of the world. So today we're going to be looking a little bit more broadly at the history, but also looking at it in terms of subgenres. And then we'll be concluding this episode by Eric and myself each offering five of our all-time favorite heavy metal albums. So this is fun, and it is chock full of music. 41 examples, if I've counted correctly, just for today's episode alone. So let's get to it. This is my... Part two conversation about heavy metal with Eric Schwartz. All right. I know that we could take a half hour to an hour to go through all of the metal subgenres. So <laughs> let's just say, what would you consider the most major subgenres of metal? And maybe, and maybe give us a representative band or album of each. Okay. So I, I kind of have a, a, a simplified framework of looking at, subgenres particularly before you know once you get once you get through the mid to late 90s like the family tree goes whoosh and yep. you start getting a basically you know every three bands has a subgenre <laughs> but before that it's a little bit more straightforward so obviously heavy metal you know i think i think it's fair to say begins with black sabbath um, you get a thread from Black Sabbath through Judas Priest uh, through Iron Maiden that i would call traditional metal uh, I would call it sort of the, you know, the, the, the center point, the, if you're going to, you know, heavy metal as a, as a platonic ideal, um, you know, a perfect album for that would probably be, you know, number of the beast mm -hmm. by iron maiden, uh, 1982. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing album for Bruce Dickinson's first album with the band. Uh, and it really, it's, you know, it's, it's classic or traditional metal. Uh, at its 
finest. Now, at the same time, even as early as like the late 70s, you know, the very beginning of the codification or the crystallization of metal, you start to get what I call the first fragmentation. So you have that through line of traditional metal, but then you get in 1978, <laughs> the eponymous debut of Van Halen. Right. Um, this picks up on... <sighs> A controversial thread of metal, you know, you have Kiss, you have uh, Montrose, you have uh, 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 Aerosmith, you have these bands that are really definitely a quite quite a hard rock with a little theatricality, uh, you know, may, a lot of people don't like to call those bands heavy metal. I think that by Van Halen, I, I don't think I have trouble thinking of Van Halen 1, the debut album, as anything other than a pop metal album. Like, mm -hmm. it is heavy metal, it's just, it's a little less heavy, it's a little more about sex, drugs, rock and roll, than it is about, you know, Jack the Ripper and such. But to me, that's where you get the pop metal thread, and, and, and the first Van Halen album is, you know, to me, the great masterpiece of, of the decade that's not by Black Sabbath, really. Um, and so you get that thread. And then it, it just it, around the same time, you know, 1977, especially 1979, Motorhead really pioneer the fusion of punk and metal velocity that is going to become speed metal and really, really, really become thrash metal, come, come, come Metallica. So that's the sort of speed slash thrash subgenre for that. Uh, I think the platonic ideal would definitely be uh, Metallica's Master of Puppets, 1986. Uh, to me, probably the, the you know arguably the greatest sort of classic thrash album. Um, and so those are the three principal subgenres. And they kind of serve throughout the 80s, I think, reasonably. Things start to further fragment at the end of that decade, and particularly in the 90s. In the 90s, that's where you start to get the death, the death, I'll put it in air quotes because it's not really true, of, of all these earlier genres. And then you start to get the more extreme metal subgenres. You get, in the late 80s, you get death metal, the, 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 <laughs> the band... Excuse me? Slayer? Was that, <clears throat> would you count Slayer as death metal? Slayer were often referred to as death metal by like people at the time before that genre had really, that subgenre, I guess, had really crystallized. I think that I consider Slayer a thrash band. Uh, you know, they have the chug, they have all the necessaries to be, you know, aesthetically called the thrash band. They're definitely on the periphery. I mean, a band like Sepultura, who come a little bit later, are even more on that periphery, probably going into proto-death metal. For me, you know, the, the people often say that Possessed's Seven Churches is the first death metal album. Uh, I think Death's Scream Bloody Gore is really a better candidate. Uh, 1987, but by 1988, you have Death's Leprosy, the second album by the band Death, and that's really establishing something that clearly is is taking more of an influence from bands like Venom and Celtic Frost and sort of more extreme influences and really pioneering something that's, <laughs> that's X-rated, as we say, that really, really extreme. Um, and, and then just a couple of years later, you get its sort of evil twin, eviler twin, I don't know, <laughs> uh, a reaction to death metal, it, particularly out of Norway, you get black metal. Um, and black metal is, of course, steeped in a lot of bad things that happen in the Norway of the early 90s. You have church burnings, you have murders, you have this really dark scene. Um, these performers were in corpse paint, very theatrical, super, super heavy lo-fi music. Um, I would say that probably the one of the most interesting of the those those early black metal sort of first Norwegian black metal bands is the band Emperor uh, in the Nightside Eclipse. That's an incredible 1993, just a monumental uh, early black metal. 
So you have that, and then I guess the, the only other thread I might chase here, uh, traditional metal really goes kind of, uh, traditional and pop metal have a bad 1990s, definitely, <laughs> but traditional metal really kind of reemerges as power metal in the 1990s, you know, pioneered by a band like Halloween, uh, Keeper of the Seven Keys. good sort of early early power metal and uh you know thrash metal you get the black album right you get metallica doing the black album you get megadeth doing countdown to extinction these are not thrash albums in any meaningful way they're 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 metal but they're not thrash and i would say thrash metal kind of becomes pantera-esque groove metal which is cool which is a good thing And then that is, you know, if we wanted to go further, that's going to eventually beget new metal and you with an umlaut. And we're all going to be pissed off about that in the late 90s. Um, and so, you know, you have new metal. And then the only the last last thread I'll chase down for subgenres is that death metal in Gothenburg, Sweden, in the mid 90s starts getting a real melodic aspect and melodic death metal. Uh, 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 bands like At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul. These are really beautifully melodic manifestations of death metal. And that's going to give us this interesting genre called metalcore that takes elements of melodic death metal, elements of hardcore. And that's going to really get us to the 21st century as like the big hip, you know, new metal and then metalcore as the big hip trends. Uh, so you know, that's right. that's a real uh, that's my very very brief history of subgenres in metal. <laughs> now I'm quite drawn to bands and I, that are called I've heard I mean I've heard them a variety of ways progressive metal symphonic metal. Uh, you know <laughs> this like, is where we get to argue. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I'm not I'm not a big fan of of this band, but Dream Theater is the first one that I heard this associated with. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know you know where you put like progressive metal. You know, there's just some bands that, that I quite enjoy, but but I guess where would you say that came from? Is that just like a... Yeah, so everything comes back to Black Sabbath. It always comes back to Black Sabbath. Uh, you know, Black Sabbath, do they become a progressive metal band? Do they become a progressive not metal band? I mean, over the course of the 1970s, as Black Sabbath develop, you know, you get... Once you start to get to Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage, you know, 73 and 75, you're getting some, you're getting a lot of keyboards, you're getting these much more experimental song forms, weird percussion, <laughs> and Sabotage, you have this song called Super Czar, that's like got a choir and harp and orchestrations, like it's, like it, it's, it's quite progressive. Um, and so, so that thread, which is tied obviously to a lot of what was going on in 1970s progressive rock, which is quite possibly my least favorite genre of music that is in the rock family. <laughs> so, so I'm, of opinion here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna expound upon that. So if I say I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of that body of work, but I, you know, I like what Black Sabbath did with it for a while, and then Black Sabbath get into their technical ecstasy phase where they lose a lot of their metal and 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 uh, they they lose me as well. Uh, so, so the long story short is that progressive elements in mid seventies rock music definitely filter into heavy metal, and it's 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 something you know. Iron Maiden have progressive elements. I would say that Judas Priest 
always, at least until, you know, British steel and that, that, that sort of era in the early 80s, Judas Priest have a lot of progressive elements that I really, really enjoy, actually. Uh, you know, we, I know you and I see eye to eye on the band Queensryche. Right. Uh, you know, Queensryche are one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, their earliest, you know, they had an EP that was kind of very much post Iron Maiden, but they, their, their debut full length of Warning, you know, that album is very much a prog metal album that I'm kind of iffy on, but they, they bring a lot of, a lot of progressive elements in a really interesting way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I will just simply say I do not enjoy Dream Theater. <laughs> They're not one of my favorite bands. I do, I, I'm okay with the Metropolis album. They, they have their moments. Right. But, um, uh, you know, music in general, and this is true of classical music as much as it's true of heavy metal for me, music that's simply about virtuosity, that where the songs themselves aesthetically don't appeal to me, Mm-hmm. And that's me. Uh, they they lose me. You know, I don't. Uh, I'm not that interested in instrumental virtuosity. It's not. It's not really my 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 thing. Um, I do so. Uh, you know, progressive bands that I don't love, but yeah. are really important. That are really really important to metal. Opeth. Right. Uh, you know, Opeth are a very important band. Uh, Blackwater Park uh, is my favorite Opeth album. Like really progressive elements of melodic death metal, but also elements of classic and progressive rock. Mastodon, you know, right. Mastodon is a band that uh, brings a whole bunch of elements like sludge, like sort of southern rock metal, uh, grungy elements, but very much a progressive threat as well. Um, you know, Leviathan is is one of the great 21st century metal albums. Definitely, it's it's got a lot of progressive elements to crack the sky gosh is, is totally a progressive metal album uh and so again it's not my thing but but yeah progressive metal is uh, it's an important subgenre. It's one that uh, uh, you know still exists today. I think uh, Hawken, one of my favorite progressive metal bands, they just came out with a new album. I just actually started perusing it the other day. Um, so yeah, yeah, progressive metal, which is just the you know the heavy metal version of progressive rock, which to me, I will say, is often but not always as much about as an, an aesthetic, a sound right. quality, as it is about the idea of being progressive. I mean, the band Pink Floyd pr- falls under a lot of people's progressive rock idea but they don't sound like emerson lake and palmer they don't sound like rush they don't sound like a lot yes you know all those bands i think have a lot of aesthetic language in common that a band like pink floyd doesn't fall into and i'd say you know the same thing of 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 progressive metal bands that i that i like a little bit tool tool are very progressive but they don't sound like progressive metal right one of the albums that you recommended was zeal and ardor devil yeah that yeah. um, I listened to a few others that you recommended that I didn't know and, you know, didn't quite have the same positive love, but, but I had it with that. One. So you hear like, sounds like, like some, like some, like work music, you know? Yes. Zeal and Art are so freaking cool. I mean, it's really, it's really fundamentally a one-man black metal project, uh, which is kind of a common thing in that idiom. The like one dude doing a studio project. Uh, dude, uh, his name's Manuel Gagno. He's got uh, he's half African American and half Swiss, uh, and it basically his idea was to synthesize metal and sort of traditional African-American music from like field hollers and work songs through, you know, early blues and whatnot. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's black metal, uh, the sort of that, that, that kind of Norwegian satanic <laughs> uh, early 90s ethos synthesized with African-American tradition. And it is awesome. I mean, I really, I really love Zeal and Arter. Their first album uh, is from 2016. Um, they have a, a 2022 album as well. I mean, it's a really, really cool project. Um, he's a really fascinating musician. Yeah, I, I definitely would recommend that. I, 
uh, uh, you know, uh, you could call that, I think, progressive for the simple sake that he's doing something that progresses, you know, heavy metal uh, brings to, brings really to the forefront what has always been in the background. I mean, we talked about classical music. We could spend just as much time talking about the blues as yeah. a foundational influence of heavy metal. And so uh, Gagnot and Zeal and Ardor, that's really like bringing that bringing those elements to the forefront of the metal aesthetic and it's so cool yeah uh, devil is fine is a great album to to start with i'll see a few more questions before we before we get to our last round um one is there a place in heavy metal for bands that don't use the traditional instruments like i'm thinking like is there any world in which you'd say like nine inch nails or like the prodigy you know some very heavy distorted electronic bands or do yeah they- i so you know you know me and my anti-dogma i have the big tent approach so mm-hmm. I, I i'm never comfortable excluding nine inch nails is an interesting case because i am a huge nine inch nails fan i, I would say that the downward spiral is on my short list of favorite albums of all time uh, and you, you know, when you and I discussed like lists uh, of heavy metal albums, I very, I kind of wrestled with whether or not to put that on for this very reason. I'm, for me, not 100% certain whether I consider Nine Inch Nails, particularly if you think of like Broken and Downward Spiral, this real sort of guitar oriented industrial ministry another perfect example um whether or not i consider industrial music as industrial metal or nine inch nails particularly or what what have you but i think i don't see why not (laughs) i mean i as early as pretty hate machine and i again i i I go to the teenage eric who listened only to heavy metal i remember going to a heavy metal camp (laughs) national guitar summer workshop uh and and i was i was there and I was showing off this weirdo Nine Inch Nails debut album that nobody really was familiar with. And I remember showing it in some like music seminar session and the, the, the grizzled old guitarist metal dude teacher was like, yeah, this music's really cool. It sounds so much better if it was a live band with like guitars and stuff. And yeah. I was like, you're missing the point, man. Um, but, but at the same time, I mean, I think that's, that's often going to be the response, especially to something like Pretty Hate Machine, which is sort of pre, pre the distorted guitar elements of, of, of the stuff that came immediately. After, but I personally am comfortable considering all those things as metal or at least very nearly metal, metal adjacent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, I think that the code of metal, which took time to crystallize over the 1970s, by the time we get into the nineties, the late eighties, even it's thoroughly crystallized. And once a genre is crystallized, you can mess with it. <laughs> you know, you can strip, you can have an album without distorted electric guitar, uh, that, you know, can, can, possibly <laughs> be right. construed as heavy metal depending on what else is going on i mean you know it it, it becomes it definitely complicates the matter but but yes i think the long story short is i don't think you need any one fundamental element to be construed as heavy metal i do think that you need uh, enough elements that there can be some sort of consensus reached but you're always going to have arguments you're always going to have the that's not heavy metal argument no matter what you know <laughs> somebody's going to say slayer's not heavy metal i mean Probably not, but but people people do like to be argumentative about these things. Yes, <laughs> every genre <laughs> has its gatekeepers. Yes, yes, heavy metal is no exception. I assure you. Um, so I, I mentioned you know I came to metal a little later, so I have a clear memory of my gateway to entry, which was Metallica's Black album. You said you've you you've been at it for a while. Do you have a memory of your first heavy metal album? Oh gosh. Yeah, so <laughs> mine's a little bit more embarrassing. Um, so I was uh, I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was pretty young. I believe at the time my favorite song was <laughs> Belinda Carlisle's "Heaven Is a Place on Earth." Uh, 
But uh, this was the same time that Def Leppard's Hysteria came out. Mm -hmm. And you talk about gatekeepers, and that's not heavy metal. I mean, Def Leppard, who I think are really an important part, uh, you know, certainly high and dry and pyromania in the early 80s. These are, these are to me, distinctly pop metal records. Uh, Hysteria starts to really shift out of pop metal and into just sort of pop territory. But for a fifth grader who was listening to Belinda Carlisle, <laughs> you know, so, songs from that album, you know, an, Animal or, or Rocket or whatever. These songs were metal. You know, they, they, they looked, you know, they had long hair, they wore ripped jeans and shirts and, you know, the, the, all that. And so bands, my gateway bands to heavy metal, call them heavy metal or call them just gateways, <laughs> uh, my gateway drugs, were, were Def Leppard and, and Bon Jovi, frankly. You know, uh, Slippery, Slippery When Wet and Hysteria were really the two earliest albums that sort of got me on the pathway that eventually is going to lead to me, you know, listening to uh, 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 all sorts of of just like wildly satanic death metal and things like that, but I but I still like I'm I'm a little I'm a little off of hysteria, but I still like Def Leppard. I still love a lot of Bon Jovi. You know, I am very much steeped in pop metal, and that that was how I came to it: pop metal, and then the more glam side of that. You know, that that was where I began, and so I hold those bands near and dear to my heart still, and accept them within the heavy metal fold and all that. All right, it's our last section time for our last section and this is where uh we'll kind of you know mutually participate here uh, i know you have top 15 top 20 top 50 you've got a big list of albums but i decided for the sake of time uh, let's just kind of briefly offer uh five each and one thing is I'll, I'll i'll give one then you give one we'll just kind of go back and forth and just five albums that are not necessarily might be you know important for the genre but there's just ones that we love and we just want to recommend so like okay. i'm gonna start with the one that i know we have in common because i know you've got five others you can choose <laughs> and that is um queen's wreck operation mind crime mm -hmm. and uh the thing to, that's great about that is first of all it's a concept album so mm -hmm. there's an overlying story that connects all of the songs it's quite dystopian mm -hmm. uh, and uh some of the tracks that i love are speak Great. So good. So good. Love that one. Great song called Spreading the Disease. Another fabulous. That's a banger. Um, the, it ends with uh, Electric Requiem and Breaking the Silence. Actually, Electric, Re no, Re electric Re Requiem is, comes before Spreading the Silence, I believe. So... I can't remember the order of to know that, but the to me, right in the middle is the crown jewel, Sweet Sister Mary. As a prog dude, I could definitely see where that would be uh, yeah. <laughs> a big one. I will, I will say that the final song is "Eyes of a Stranger." Actually, oh yeah, an Operation right, right. I, I, I will confess, I did not re-listen to these. <laughs> 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 I listen to that album every day. I mean, how can you not? That's true. All right, so. Give us one. What is uh, one of your top five? Okay, I will give you the big thumbs up for Operation Mindcrime. It's a fabulous album. So I, I you know, as you alluded to, I went chronologically, which may have been a mistake because I ended up with a list of like 72 albums. <laughs> um, but to begin with my first just like, ugh, album, uh, good old Black Sabbath. I've already actually mentioned it. Um, Sabotage. It's kind of the last. It's the sixth of the classic the, the the original lineup before the drugs yeah. <laughs> overwhelmed, I think, in the later 70s. Um, Sabotage is just an incredible masterpiece. It's really transcendent. It marks, to my mind, the birth of thrash, very early, 1975, the birth of thrash metal, Symptom of the Universe, which is just 
as cool, as fast and rocking and chugging a song as you can possibly imagine. It's also got these two epics, which are, again, I think that we talk progressive, especially megalomania is Black Sabbath at their most progressive. It's got this, this like really ambient opening with Ozzy using this crazy, like sort of reverse reverby entrance effect. I don't know what exactly they're doing to his voice, um, but it's so cool. And then it's just got a really awesome sort of groovy classic rock middle section. It's a great, great tune. I love, love, love it. Um, and then finally, The Writ, which is the last track. Um, the thing I would say collectively about Sabotage is Ozzy Osbourne is an icon, but he's not known necessarily as the greatest singer. Yeah. On Sabotage in all, and especially on The Writ, it's one of the great vocal performances of all time. He is at the very top of his range. He's so angry. It's a song about lawyers and sort of the legal situation that Black Sabbath was in. Ozzy's vocal on The Writ is one of the great moments in heavy metal. It's just, woo. You know, Ozzy Osbourne has a, a voice that you don't have to hear very often to instantly recognize it every time you hear it. But, you know, one thing I find in, that is interesting about it is, like, I've never heard his natural voice. Every single song I've ever heard of him in, he's doing a double track effect. Oh, yeah, that's so intrinsic to the Ozzy thing. I mean, you know, I saw Ozzy live, <laughs> and uh, it sounded great. It sounded cool. He sounded good. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there was any double tracking at the time. You know, I saw him back way back on the No More Tours tour in the '90s. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't know that there was any double tracking going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. You know, it's like Phil Collins or something. There's some people whose voice is John Lennon. You know, that that double tracking is just kind of intrinsic to the way we we know their voices. All right, my second. The, that I'm going to offer was the third heavy metal album I ever heard, but it was the first one where I said, I really like this. And that was uh, Megadeth Countdown to Extinction. It's our and, argument track. <laughs> um, and I love the title track. Uh, the, the, the song that I was told to try first was Sweating Bullet. And, uh, you know, it has almost kind of like a James Bond type chord mm -hmm. progression uh, going on. Uh, <laughs> Symphony of Destruction. And of course, uh, actually on guitar, learned how to play Foreclosure of a Dream. It's actually one of the few I can still pick up and play the opening acoustic number for that. Um, one of the things that attracted me to to Megadeth is, and and I I don't know, there may be people who are like, "What's wrong with you?" When I say this, because uh, I don't think this was intended. But Dave Mustaine, I love his voice because it's not only not only great, but it's it's funny. It's <laughs> a, it, it's it's almost like it's a parody of a heavy metal vocalist at the same time it's a genuine heavy metal vocalist and you know See that uh right now as we're recording this um well i guess just before we recorded this uh, the the musical beetlejuice was at the tanger center in green greensboro and the guy who did that on broadway the title character reminds me of dave mustaine and i was just smiling as i was listening to the cast recording Tears and start on the whole, you know, being dead thing. You're doomed. Enjoy the singing. The wow, that's really funny. Yeah, Dave, Dave, 
Mustaine's voice. It's definitely an acquired taste, I think. But right. but yeah, I mean, it's it's Dave Mustaine's voice. I mean, Megadeth isn't Megadeth without that vocal, that right. sort of nasal. And and I, I agree, it, car- it carries a, a, a irony really effectively. I think right. that's something he does. I mean, I so uh, my context, of course, is wildly different. You know, I was a me- I first came to thrash metal through Megadeth. So far, so good. So what? Right. Um, which is 1988, mm-hmm. and uh, so even before and Justice for All actually by Metallica, mm-hmm. um, and so I, you know, was a I was a Megadeth guy. Megadeth was that was my thrash band, and I liked Metallica, but I was really a Megadeth guy. And then Rust in Peace came out in 1990, and that was everybody's you know favorite thrash metal album ever. It was just this monumental, virtuosic magnum opus. And then when Countdown to Extinction came out with the lead single called Symphony of Destruction. Yep. Uh, you know, I, 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 just, I just have this distinct memory of a friend of mine saying like, you know, I thought it was going to be a symphony. I thought it was going to be this wildly elaborate Megadeth piece. And it's just yep. this like pop song with like an <laughs> ACDC riff. And like, I have just never been able to get into that album. I, I like, I do like a lot, unlike Metallica, who lose me certainly after the black album um there's a lot of sort of 90s and particularly you know early 20th century 21st century megadeth i like uh but i don't i don't like that album very much <laughs> well it's not I my thing. That we're 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 in big picture agreement small picture sometimes <laughs> not. there uh, we go okay uh so so now was the, was that your megadeth choice or what's your second choice okay my second choice i thought about that i did think about that but uh when i have if i have to pick one thrash metal album i have to pick one thrash metal album it's rain and blood it's definitely slayers rain and blood um i am fundamentally more about the visceral attack of slayer than i am about the elaborate virtuosity of megadeth in this you know thrash context um and rain and blood is 29 minutes long it is perfect you know rick rubin Love him or hate him, he produced the perfect thrash metal album. Um, one of the things I think about are the bookends of this album, which are de- by far the two longest songs. Angel of Death at the opening, which has one of the great Tom Oreas screams. To open it up. And then Raining Blood, which is the sort of atmospheric, doomy closer. I mean, and everything in between is just like rip your face off, mosh pit, thrash perfection. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. I listen to it, you know, really quite regularly. It's a great jogging album. Um, so, yes, Rain and Blood by Slayer. Okay. Um, all right. So my third one, I guess I'm kind of going chronologically to an extent, but not really. I'm, I'm like, I'm staying, I'm staying in ones that I discovered before I was an adult. <laughs> and, or, you know, and, and I mean, or before I graduated college, which you know, I should still say qualify. Yeah, before I was an adult. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to mostly do that too. I'm only taking um, one one later one. Um, Persistence of Time by Anthrax. So I know it's not the Anthrax album. You know, it's like a, a, like this was actually a follow up to a more kind of main. You know, one that's kind of stood the test of time a little bit, but. um the persistence of time it was the second anthrax album i came across the first one was uh uh was something about attack of the killer bees i believe oh yeah well that's a that's that's a funny one (laughs) and it's a collection and you know that was the first time i heard like the second part of i'm the man which uh yes i'm the man is iconic um and then you know this is a this is a labeled as a clean episode, so I won't say what it stands for, but the last track's called NFB. <laughs> <laughs> nice effing ballad, basically. Um, which has the funniest ending of any song. This time But <laughs> Anthrax are a funny of, band. I assumed that Anthrax was just this com- comedic band, and you know, her, and then Persistence of Time, and 
they they have to at least match the high the fastest tempo of any song. It's like the <laughs> what what they do with like out of uh, got the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, that's got to be over two hundred beats a minute. It's just really fast. And then yeah. Um, and then in into my world is just one of those songs I can put on uh, repeat. And there are some other tracks I did not revisit it, you know, recent enough to say the ones that I really like. But those are the two tracks that I could instantly recall. So that's my third choice. Anthrax, Persistence of Time. Great band. Really, really, really cool band. Part of the big four, you know, the big four thrash bands. And uh, it's not my favorite Anthrax album by any stretch. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's classic Anthrax. And Anthrax are another band that in the 21st century have done some really cool stuff. If you haven't checked out on them in a, in, in a little while, they're, 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 they're kicking, kick, kicking booty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but OK, so, uh, you know. I, I, this is a personal list. I had to go with my personal hero, or at least one of my personal heroes, the great King Diamond. Um, I needed to choose a King Diamond album. It's like choosing a child for me. I am a huge King Diamond fan. I'm a big Merciful Fate fan as well, which is the band from whence he came. Um, I, I went conservative. I decided to choose the classic King Diamond album, the one that's on all the lists is the best. Uh, that would be Abigail. Uh, Abigail is the second album after King Diamond left Merciful Fate and went solo. It is the first, or it's not really solo, it's really a band called King Diamond, but anyway, I digress. Uh, it, it is the first album that starts a template for King Diamond that is horror concept albums. So like Operation Mindcrime, we've got a concept album here, but it's specifically horror themed. It's all about, you know, a, a, a dark and stormy night in a mansion and like ghosts and, you know, I don't want I don't want to get too into the narrative, but suffice to say, it really creates atmosphere. King Diamond is famous uh, for, for wearing corpse paint, first off. He sort of is one of the people who establishes that template of wearing corpse, corpse paint that becomes important to black metal later. Famous also as a Satanist, I might add, a, a, a non-theistic Satanist. But these albums are really just about storytelling. And Abigail tells an amazing story. Uh, the song A Mansion in Darkness is Really, if you want to just get into King Diamond, get into the atmosphere, get into sort of the virtuosity of the musicians, the great Andy LaRoque, the the, the lead guitar player, um, King Diamond's voice, incredible, incredible stuff. And then another song to check out, the seventh day of July, 1777. It's got it's got the real atmospheric sort of acoustic opening and filmic keyboards, and then just becomes like a shredding, you know, like uh, a really gothic uh, traditional metal tune. I- it's I love King Diamond. I love all his albums, um, but you got you got to know Abigail. I mean, it's 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 essential. Right. Uh, so for my uh, a little a little bit of context before I give my fourth one. So I did not listen to any new heavy metal from probably 1997 to at least 2010, and and a lot of it had to do with I'm I'm an adult now and I've now got to pay my own bills and I'm <laughs> going to go try buy albums and so forth so this is where the invention of spotify was really good uh and I, what and I, when i got into it i didn't like think what have i missed on heavy metal it took me probably i was probably about 2012 before i started really kind of exploring a lot of genres that i'd missed and so it, it was really great discovery to 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 come across Avenged Sevenfold, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I, I think kind of hearing you talk about, it, I think that would be more of a pop metal, uh, at least where they've become. And I tried a song uh, and it was called Shepherd of Fires from her fifth mm-hmm. album. And, 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 and I heard low brass in it and I was immediately, <laughs> you know, so I, so I listened to that. I really liked it. And I decided when I like a band, I'm going to go back to the beginning 
and try try what and and I did not like their first two albums. The the their first album especially they were doing the. I do have a problem aesthetically with the screamy, distorted, growly voice. Ah, uh, the the I'm the not, dirty vocal is not your thing. It's not no. I, I and I have to really really like everything else to overcome it. But um, it, so it was kind of hard for me. But then um, you know the lead vocalist he kind of changes to where it's a distorted quality he does that's on the verge of screaming, but it still has a lot of clean in it. And I love that sound, but the, their self-titled album, which is really their fourth album is known as the white album. There's a song called afterlife, which is, which is great. Uh, it's, uh, I think the second track, but there's a song called unbound uh, wild ride, which has, yeah, these white, it's truly as we call it, these arpeggios going up and down. Somewhere some reason that it ends with a children's choir <laughs> why, why not <laughs> at the end but which you know sometimes i'm in the mood for that part and sometimes not um great there's a great ballad on there called dear god you know i do you know i think heavy metal fans are not supposed to admit this but i do love good ballads you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I like a good ballad myself don't like a bad ballad but i do like a good ballad <laughs> yeah, Avenged Sevenfold. I mean, they're they're huge. They're they're like the you know, like you said, sort of the modern, the modern equivalent to pop metal, and 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 to, you know, it, as you know, extreme metal from the '90s sort of changed the paradigm a little bit. They're they're a lot heavier than you know Bon Jovi was right. when they get heavy. Um, they're, they're not. To, they're coming to Charlotte in June, but uh, I it, don't have a budget for any more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I saw the, Muse in in March, and that that kind of like. That that was my budget for the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I mostly either do club shows of like really cool bands that you know are playing affordably, or you know if Judas Priest comes, I, I'll go see them. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 yeah, the 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 big expensive uh, big ticket items are are complicated. Avenged Sevenfold is not a, a band that I listen to a lot. Uh, they're not just not quite my aesthetic of choice. I'm definitely more of the 21st century metal, more on the the late you know the death metal and the black metal and the post black metal and things like that but but they're, they're they're a band of clear quality i mean they do they do nice stuff i think that's that's a very solid choice okay what's your fourth choice okay so i couldn't not do a judas priest album right. uh because judas priest you know the metal gods <laughs> um i went I, this is not controversial but it is a distinctive choice i went with their 1990 album actually where they basically showed all those young upstart thrash metal bands how to do it <laughs> and that would be painkiller which is by far at least until their 21st century stuff um un unquestionably by far their heaviest album um is just absolutely blistering uh it had the title tr to me the title track painkiller is the platonic ideal for a heavy metal song it is as good as it gets just incredible bombastic drumming it's got a killer riff that uses amongst other things the tritone you know it's actually a kind of a locrian riff which is which is kind of cool with the flat the flat two and the flat five but um rob halford's vocals are shrieked they're at the highest part of his range but you know it's pitched it's wholly pitched um and just incredibly virtuosic and ever there's a bunch of guitar solos and they're all just completely shredding virtuosity it is so good so good there's if you're going to listen to one heavy metal song ever <laughs> I, I might suggest painkiller be the one see see what you think Also on that, you know, <laughs> that album, this, I love that Painkiller goes into the second track, which is Hell Patrol, which is this epic, sort of powerful, almost doomy, ep, you know, like uh, a sort of Iron Maiden meets Doom. It's just so, so good for going from one banger to the next banger.
Um, and also a special shout out to the song A Touch of Evil, which is kind of that album's ballad. I mean, it's not a ballad in the conventional sense, but it is sort of slow and keyboardy. And it's got preposterously incredible vocals, particularly on the bridge. Trust me, check check that out. Um, just so, so good. Um, Painkiller was actually my first Judas Priest album, and I don't think it's my favorite as an adult necessarily, but yeah. gosh, it's good. <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> well, the last one that I'll mention, and uh, it's by a band that you, that you mentioned in are kind of our pre-planning for this episode. And I did listen to the album. I think it's called Imaginarium. Uh, mm-hmm. But the band is Nightwish. Mm-hmm. And my introduction to them is still one of my all-time favorite metal albums. And it's called Dark Passion Play. Mm-hmm. And the opening track is a 13-minute symphony, basically. It's the poet and the pendulum. And it uses like not just the orchestra. You know, sometimes you hear orchestra mixed with rock tunes and it's like some strings, you know, some nice chords. This is This is like virtuosic stuff happening you know in all the sections of the orchestra Mm -hmm. mixed in with you know you've got a female lead vocalist but you also have you know some guys that sing as well and it's uh... I'm not sure what is their country of origin. They're Finland. They're they're, they're, they're yeah. Finnish. I knew they were Scandinavian. So <laughs> you've got you've got some of their folklore in their music. Um, the song that really got my attention was the Islander, which you know again talk about a nice ballad. This this is you know it's it sounds like like a folk song basically, and it's got the Julian or the Gaelic pipes and. Then another song I really loved on it was uh, Seven Days to the Wolves. Yeah, Nightwish are great. Uh, I mean, I they're they're. <laughs> symphonic metal in general is a is a sub or an adjective i don't know if it's it's more of an adjective than a than a subgenre but sym- symphonic power metal is something that is not really in my wheelhouse but i think i think nightwish do it the best probably of anyone who does it i really like the the sort of female singing uh, on top of and 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 the diversity of having this occasionally sort of growled male singing at the same time and yeah the orchestrations are beautiful i mean they they write some very very pretty stuff. Imaginarium, which is the next album actually after that, uh, I believe it's 2011, is is one of my favorite. I mean, there's things I don't like on it, right. <laughs> but the things I like, I just adore, like is some of my favorite music making. So yeah, good, good, good. All right. Your final choice, sir. All right. So for my final choice, I, I, I the adult Eric comes through one of my deep dives during the COVID era was a band that I was familiar with, a band that I always liked, but never really embraced as a kid. And that would be a band I've mentioned a few times, Death, um, led by, again, one of my real heroes, Chuck Schuldiner, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, death is a band that is sort of is one of the founding voices of sort of the Florida death metal scene of the late 80s. Um, and in 1998, they released their final album, the sound of perseverance and oh my gosh like so so you know the thing i think the important context here is that chuck had established sort of the paradigm of death metal he very quickly i don't want to say evolved but he very quickly sort of grew to embrace lots of other sounds including progressive sounds and things that are not conventionally associated with death metal and by this time he was really ready to stop playing death metal he actually started or was in the process of starting a new band called control deny that's more of a power metal project and he signed to a new label that wanted one more death album they just want they said like we'll sign you but you got to do one more death album and so that's where the sound of perseverance 
Perseverance comes from. And they basically reworked some of the songs that they were working on for this power metal project into death metal. Chuck takes on this vocal persona that is pretty wholly different. It is dirty, but oh. it's shrieked dirty vocals instead of growled dirty vocals. Hmm. Um, and it is just uh, the the virtuosity on this album, the song structures, the anthemic accessibility that just sort of crops up. Spirit Crusher, one of my favorite songs of all time. I just saw I just saw a death tribute band comprised of former members uh, 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 do do a performance. And Spirit when they played Spirit Crusher is one of the great moments of my life. It has this riff this Iron Man-esque riff in it that just is so, it just, it moves mountains. It's really, it's really amazing. Um, for people who don't like death metal, and there are many of those people I know, one of the great sort of heavy metal instrumentals, beautiful sort of balladic instrumentals, voice of the soul, really shows you in, in sort of an easy context what a genius, what a musical genius Chuck Schuldiner was. And then the album ends with, <laughs> amazingly, a cover of the great Judas Priest's Painkiller. And it is the, I, I mentioned that as my idea of the platonic ideal. And how do you match the platonic ideal? I don't think there's any band in the world besides death that could go toe to toe with Judas Priest on Painkiller. And Chuck Schuldiner, a death metal vocalist who's really more of a songwriter and guitarist, shrieking death metal style goes toe to toe with Rob Halford with, pro with probably my vote for the best death metal vocal performance of all time on his iteration of Painkiller. They do all new guitar solos, which are equally virtuosic, if not more so. Um, it's just like, it's, it's just, It, it is, in my opinion, po quite possibly the greatest heavy metal album of all time. It's an album that I really didn't discover until, you know, a few years ago. I listened to it. Just it's it's on constant background play in right. my in my playlist. It's so great. And if you don't know the band Death and you want to explore heavier heavy metal, uh, they're they're as good as it gets. They're the Beatles of death metal. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, pro that'll probably be a clip. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it's I, I know we've gone long, but, you know, we're talking about an entire genre that's been around for, you know, 50 years, over 50 years and standing so, the test of time. Yes. So very hard. So for more details on this, obviously, I will send people to your podcast, which is Heavy Metal 101. Now, I know when you started, you were Spotify only. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that still the case? That is no longer the case. Yeah. So we started Spotify only because I really wanted to legally use entire tracks. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the funding to uh, afford licensing those tracks. And I'm one of those very ethical music director types that doesn't like to, you know, <laughs> violate uh, copyright laws. Yeah. So I started pop copyright or excuse me spotify only and then i just realized eh there's there's better ways to do this so uh the the podcast now exists on spotify in a format that includes music and everywhere else including on spotify frankly you can listen to the podcast and basically we have links in the show notes to the like artist published version of the song on youtube under discussion and so you still can listen to the music it just involves you know one one more step um but yeah the podcast is available literally literally everywhere that podcasts are available now that would be as you said heavy metal 101 and if you're interested in podcasting so we have kind of a little you and I have two different kind of models for music. Like this episode will have music, but it'll have, you know, 10 to 15 second clips, you know, basically just to, which the, because we're discussing the tracks, the fair use act allows us, allows me to do that. Amen. But, but you, uh, you, you use Spotify, what they allow to like link to the entire track. So it's mm -hmm. like you can actually go, 
hear the whole thing. Well, actually, in the episode, you we get to hear the whole track. Yeah, it's embedded. It's a really nice little feature. Of course, it doesn't transfer outside of of, of Spotify, which is hugely right. annoying. But but yeah, yeah. So it it is nice. It just flows sort of organically into the uh, into the track with all the licensing taken care of and all of that. So that that is a nice thing. But on my podcast, I get to use all sorts of little blippies and bloopies that are copyright free from the internet to create soundscapes and sort of play. I try and play as much as it's an educational and entertainment podcast. I try and play with the format artistically through the use of sound and composition and things like that. So definitely check that out. And listeners, before we say goodbye, listeners, uh, what are, if you, if you are into heavy metal, what are some of your favorites or, or if you listen to this episode and you try something, what was something that you really liked? You can send, you can send me a message. You can also go to speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit and leave a voice message and i'll include it on a future episode of the podcast so uh we reached the end of this epic uh look at heavy metal but again everyone should go check out heavy metal 101 for oh yeah we go deep for for a deeper dive into all of these things and start at the beginning uh because you you do give a little bit of prehistory which we really didn't get too much into but uh so eric i know you, you now have to put on your professor hat and go you know, do some collegiate stuff. So uh-huh. I got to accompany, I got to teach the young minds. I'm not going to talk too much about heavy metal, sadly, which is, which is just very unfortunate. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always, always a pleasure to talk heavy metal. And that wraps up our two part conversation with heavy metal and also episode number 25. Whether you're choosing to listen to this as a podcast or you're following along watching on YouTube, I want to say thank you and appreciate it if you would subscribe and follow wherever you are. And if you are watching us on YouTube, it would be so helpful if you would give us a thumbs up and even leave a comment if you enjoyed this episode. And let us know, in your in, in, especially if you're a heavy metal fan, what's your favorite band, what's your favorite album, or what's your favorite song. Also, let me know. Did this episode give you an appreciation for the genre that you didn't have already? Last request, if you enjoyed this episode or and you know somebody else who would appreciate it, we would love it if you would share this episode with at least one other person. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.